Welcome. This is Karen Modakaitis, and you're listening to How She Really Does It, the place where inspiration and possibility meet on KDRT 95.7 FM. For all you Michelle Woodward fans, she is back on the other side of the microphone today as we go into another conversation and a deep topic. And for those of you who don't know Michelle, she's a friend of mine and a colleague, and she's worked in the White House, and she coaches. She's an executive coach with C-level clients, a good friend of mine. I love talking with her. We're going deep today. We're going to talk about a simple word and what each of us make it mean. So I look forward to you tuning in and listening, and I will circle back with you following the conversation with Michelle. Thanks so much. Michelle Woodward, my friend, welcome back. I'm so happy to be here with you. Yes, it's great. So today we're going to talk about, we've been talking about the book, The Ideal Team Player by Patrick Lencioni. Mm -hmm. And you did a Facebook Live talk about it on your Facebook wall. And we're going to talk about uh, hungry because he has three values in there about what, what are the components of being an ideal team player. One is being smart and not necessarily intelligence or, as you mentioned, emotional intelligence. But are you able to evaluate a situation? Are you able to, what I took away, can you lead a team? You know, do you know how to work with people? And being humble. And then the other aspect was hungry. And you and I are going to have a discussion about that because it really um, jabbed at you, I guess, for lack of better words when he was talking about the hungry aspect. Yeah, because the way he defined hungry was that sort of, you know, that willingness to do anything, um, the willingness to stay late, come in on the weekend. So when Patrick Lencioni talks about um, being hungry, what I think he's talking about in the book is the ability to, you know, stay late and uh, come in on the weekend. And part of me took that as really a, a recipe for burnout and for having no boundaries and for, you know, kind of having that negative drive, you know, that being driven as opposed to having drive. And it made me a little a little worried because I thought, boy, you know, to say that you're hungry and that you want it and you're going to do anything to get it just made me kind of anxious, <laughs> to be honest with you. Because I thought that's a recipe for a lot of people to get themselves in a difficult position. How did you take hungry? So I took it differently. I, I took it with ha- being hungry, but having boundaries, right? Not the self where you go down this hole and you disconnect from everybody else. So I took it like wanting to evolve, wanting to learn, like really wanting to, you know, for lack of better words, to dare greatly. That's how I took the hungry. But I do think what you're saying is really important because if you read that, you could take that one word and just get really tunnel vision with it and not have the boundaries, you know, and have cost to health, have cost to relationships, um, cost yourself, right? By, by taking something and just dialing it up in just hunger. And, you know, I had to do a real deep dive, a deep look at my own self, because when he described being hungry, I thought, well, 
I'm not. I'm successful, but I'm actually would never use the word hungry to describe myself, nor would I use the word driven. Mm-hmm. Um, I have drive, but I'm not not driven, nor do I really think I've ever been driven. And yet I've had a very successful career. And so for me, I had to look at it and say, am I avoiding it? Am I resisting it? Am I, am I really unwilling to do anything it takes to be successful? And and as I explored that, what I kind of came to is that I'm, I prioritize and value flow more than I value being hungry. And when I'm in flow, when I'm like on all cylinders and doing what I'm here to do, work comes to me. Mm-hmm. You know, referrals are good and people come back and, you know, new people find their way to me and all that stuff. So I I just didn't really resonate with the word hungry at all. Now, if I was 25 years old and getting started in my career or if I was you know, really angling to get promoted, or I was just getting a business off the ground, perhaps I would be more hungry. But really, when I look back in my whole life, I haven't been hungry. Now, you're a world-class athlete. How about you? I mean, um, you know, I was, well, I was a high-level athlete. I I can't accept that uh, claim of world-class. Thank you. Oh, world-class. My world, baby. (laughs) My world. You know, uh, there was there were times that I was hungry and would run over people, things, everything to get to that destination. And that's where I think it becomes really dangerous because where I was rooted in was a place of shame, right? Not good enough. And so I really tapped into that and went overdrive in my hunger. Um, now I, you know, I like to be in a place of flow. And that's actually one of my words for 2017 is awesome. flow and I want to evolve. So I'm, I love to learn and I'm really curious and that is where I'm hungry because there's a desire there, but there's also boundaries and there's also, I understand that as much as I want to work hard and dive deep, I also need to step back and refill back up. And, and that's one of the things that I work with like my corporate clients, you know, because there is a lot of uh, appreciation for what are you willing to sacrifice? What are you willing to do? How many hours are you going to log in versus sometimes what's the quality of your work? What value are you bringing? Right. And so those hours of logging in are more important than the value that people are bringing. Does that make sense? It's the quantity quality. Um, conundrum, which actually I just so happen to have written a blog post about that a couple of years ago. But you know, this is, I think we break down in like 50-50 as human beings. Are we, are we moving towards quality? Or are we moving towards quality? Mm-hmm. Um, and I think a lot of organizations, because we have gotten into this thing about having to have analytics for everything, you know, and so we have situations where people want to, um, you know, they want to assign, we had, we had 13 customer service reps on the phone, so we must be doing a good job. I'm sorry about this dog. And and the thing is, is not about, um, no one's asking, did they answer the phone kindly? Did they solve the customer's problems? Oh, we've got 13 CSRs. We must be doing it right. And I'm one of those people who say, you know, you could have 13 horrible people and we, we owe it to 
our customers and we owe it to our employees and we owe it to our shareholders to have a really good um, customer service people. So we're talking about quantity versus quality. But like I'm somebody who really is all about quality and not quantity. I, I don't really care. I don't really care how many you have. You know what I mean? It's like, are they doing the job? Well, and the, you know, again, with any time with books, and I get a bit jaded because of what I've been doing for the last 10 years, but, you know, with books, sometimes we get into these simplified <laughs> things. And so there was um, some business books, I don't know, 15, 20 years ago, when it was all about, you know, measuring things, measuring by numbers, getting rid of your bottom 5% or whatever it was. And instead of there's some things that aren't measurable, right? Like, right. And, and that becomes a hard thing. It's easy to say, oh, I have 13 customer service people and I'm so successful. But are you? What's the connections that they're bringing about? Those are harder things to measure. And I, oh, go ahead. I'm sorry. I was just going to say as an entrepreneur and especially the kind of work that you and I do, you know, we're, we're service oriented entrepreneurs. We're uh, knowledge workers, entrepreneurs. And so there's not a lot of analytics that can be applied to our work. Um, you know, I can't really stop at the end of a coaching session and say, do you, pl- do you feel 23% better <laughs> than you felt before we started? Have you made 19% progress? You know, are we, and, and, and so for me that it is really about the quality and I would rather provide high touch, um, individualized, personalized service to a handful of clients than try to manufacture some wholesale solution that's probably not going to really work for anybody. And I think this is the, the big thing about being hungry when you're an entrepreneur. I, you've probably had this experience. I sure have. You know, you're at some event. You shake hands with somebody. They, they say, what do you do? You tell them. You ask. You reciprocate. What do you do? And the next thing you know, you're being sold vitamins or you're being sold, you know, moisturizer or and you they go into the big sales pitch. One could say they're hungry, but one could also say they're kind of a jerk. <laughs> you know? Well, that would in in with Patrick Lencioni's, right? He would say they weren't smart. Right. Nor were they humble, I guess, mm-hmm. either. But but you know, it's like it's it's that that part that I think um where his work with the the these these um, three aspects of your ideal team player, um, you know, they really dovetail nicely into his work that he did with the five dysfunctions of a team and creating this this pyramid, which I use in the product of five behaviors of a cohesive team, which is something Patrick did with the DISC people. Mm-hmm. And so you can use it with teams. But his bottom, the bottom part of the the pyramid is trust. And so his premise being that we cannot have a successful anything if we don't have trust. And I would argue that that's not only trust between people, but self-trust. And then once we have trust, then we can do conflict well. Because if I trust you, I'm able to give you feedback that could be difficult. Um, and, or I, I can engage in a give and take with you, but it's based in trust. And so it's more productive. And then once we got that done, we can go to commitment. We can have a shared commitment, which is about this hunger thing, right? Mm-hmm. And he, humble is about am I am I willing to take that difficult feedback I'm getting? And um, 
smart is, is can I actually take this and, and make something of it? Mm-hmm. So it all kind of fits. Uh, I think it fits really nicely in his whole body of work. Mm-hmm. Um, but I just did, I just, that hunger thing really threw me for a loop, I have to say. One of the tools that I love to use is the via the values in action. <laughs> I love that. And one, and so I use this with clients all the time. And so one of my top five values is integrity and authenticity, right? Which wouldn't be a surprise. And one of the things is that when I dial up, we always think, oh, our strengths, we have strengths and our weaknesses, but our weaknesses are usually our strengths dialed up. And so like when I get into place again of shame, you know, not enough fear, I can take that integrity, authenticity and dial it up and become righteous. And that becomes, that's where I'm not effective. And um, it doesn't feel good. The people around me doesn't feel good, right? But I could say, but wait, I'm in my place of strength. I'm being totally authentic. And that's the way I look at this with hungry is that if you can be grounded in your wholehearted self, in your strengths, know your values and be hungry where it's about evolving and growing and being of service, putting out a product, being of value to your workplace, that's, that's being grounded, right, in your best self. It's when, I believe, you get rooted in scarcity or shame, and much of corporate America, right, much of our society is rooted in scarcity. We're a scarcity culture. Then that's where that hunger gets to what you're talking about. This is why you're such a brilliant coach. I hope that you hear that many times today and this week and the rest of your life because you just helped me see something, and that is hungry is really – that knowing I'm here to do this work. Mm -hmm. Mm. It's specifically, I'm here to do this work. Not like I have to do this work, which is a little bit of a panic and a lack thing, Mm -hmm. or um, let me do this work, but it's, I'm here to do this work. And to what extent am I willing to put myself out there, Mm -hmm. perhaps make myself uncomfortable by talking about myself and my work, because I'm hungry enough that I, I'm here to do this work and I'm going to do it. Mm-hmm. Whether you own a chocolate shop, you know, whether you're a personal trainer, whether you're a physician, whatever you are, you know, you're, are you here to do the work and to what extent are you willing to kind of extend that into being hungry to do the work? Mm-hmm. Yes? Mm-hmm. Exactly. And that I'm here to do this work. Right. It, when you talk about like your units of energy, how many units of energy does that cost you when you believe I'm here to do this work instead of I have to do this work or I need to learn more to do this work, but I'm here to do this work. When you are here to serve, what's the cost to you? Yeah. And it gets you in the flow, right? I mean, that's a flowy kind of statement as opposed to the lack and insecurity of, oh my gosh, I hope somebody allows me to do this work. Mm-hmm. And there is a researcher, I can't, I won't even be able to pronounce his name. He's, I think, from Eastern Europe. Yeah, Schmismali or something like that. Mikhail Schmismali. The flow, right? You want to have challenge, but you also have to have skill set. And then when they meet at the right points, that's where you get flow. If you have too high of challenge, not enough skill, that's going to create anxiety. If you have low challenge, but high skill, then you're bored. Right. So you want, you want, that's why, I mean, and and I use this all the time because people, you know, one of the areas that I help my clients be is more self-compassionate. And I always say, well, you know, and there's research to back this up of self-compassion is the biggest motivator for change. 
And there I get a lot of resistance because again, it's that, no, I have to work harder. I must grind it out. That's the corporate culture. You know, that's my workplace. That's going to be more successful. And, but really what happens is that when we are compassionate, we actually want to evolve and we want to grow. And, and so what I use is, you know, there's that old wives tale of don't carry the baby too much because they're never going to want to learn to walk. Tell me what baby doesn't want to learn to walk and to speak right. on their own, right? They're, they're like, put me down. And they live a pretty grand life. Put me down. I want to do it myself. Right? Well, if you've ever held a wiggly two-year-old, you know exactly. <laughs> got to walk. Man, that's exactly right. Yeah, it's, a, it's an excellent point. And that book on flow is is really a classic. And I would really suggest that anybody who's looking for something really engaging and interesting to read, to pick up that book, um, it's it it really is quite remarkable. So, I'll, you know, go ahead. I'll put links to that, and also if you can send me the blog post, the qu- okay. quality versus quantity, I'll put that up on the podcast notes as well. So, you know, so this hungry thing is is I think we've been very clear that it doesn't mean that you have to stab somebody in the back and walk over their bleeding carcass to get what you want. <laughs> you know, it's it's not it's not working 90 hour weeks just to show people you're a stud. Mm-hmm. It it really means that you you know what you're here to do and you're doing it. Mm-hmm. And you're willing to expand your comfort zone, which is my other idea that we don't come out of our comfort zone because a lot of times we have a comfort zone for integrity's per, uh, sake like I think about all the boys in college who said, oh, come on, get out of your comfort zone. You know, that was not about me. That was about them. Mm-hmm. Right. And so I think you have a comfort zone because you want to you want to expand it. You want to, like, make it a little roomier. And so um, and so I think that we come out of we we can grow our comfort zone. We can stretch a little bit in the service of the work. Because you've seen this as well as I've seen it. A lot of people have great skill and great ability, but they have a really hard time saying nice things about themselves to themselves and to others. Mm -hmm. Well, and that goes back to, so your, your point on uh, trust, right? And one of the things that's really important is that self-trust is the basis of self-love. Right. So, and you know, when you go through of, and Brene Brown has this, the anatomy of trust, which is boundaries. What's okay? What's not okay? Reliable. Am I reliable? Do I do what I say I'm going to do? And so for us to do that, have that relationship with ourselves, where when if I say I'm going to do X, even when I'm not accountable to anybody else, do I do it? Right? What's the relationship I'm cultivating with myself? And that that the, it's those small things that we do day in and day out that then develop and cultivate this relationship of self-trust where we can trust ourselves, And if that's the basis of self-love, that becomes so important. I really would call out to everybody who's listening that if you have a problem trusting other people, if you know trust is something that always trips you up, it's your sort of kryptonite and you're, you, you, you always, it's always a problem for you. The real issue then is often your inability to trust yourself. And I really think that that's something great to take into a therapy kind of situation, some sort of group counseling situation, or do a lot of reflecting and writing and, you know, work with a coach um, to understand why you don't even trust yourself. 
And a lot of times, I, the reason I went right to therapy as opposed to coaching is because I do some, think sometimes that particular thing, that inability to trust oneself, is really rooted in the past. And it's rooted in your, your family history, uh, sometimes even generations before you, uh, in your childhood experiences. And that's something that I think therapy is really designed uh, to address ext- extremely well. I don't know what you think, but I, that's my my public service announcement for today. I, I think, you know, really understanding. And here's the other side. If all of a sudden this is really hitting something inside, there's not anything wrong with you if you don't trust yourself. This is an area that you haven't fully developed. And so it's an opportunity to go work on that area. So there's no need to think, oh my gosh, I'm broken or something's wrong with no. me. Mm-mm. This is actually very quite common. I do a lot of uh, work on, on the areas of trust and self-trust with my clients. So again, don't think that there's something wrong with you. This is the great news mm-hmm. is that if you go and work on this, again, whether it's with a therapist, a coach, you journal about it, you take you, you can take the braving anatomy that I think Brene has it as a free course and go and take a look at that and really do some introspection on that and start cultivating self-trust because you being able to trust yourself and then you being able to trust other people, they're both connected as Michelle. Well, and the promise is a richer, more full, more happy life. I mean, the promise is you trust yourself, just like in Patrick Lencioni's pyramid of the five, uh, five behaviors of a cohesive team. But if you're able to trust yourself, conflict becomes really easy. Mm-hmm. Commitment becomes really easy. Um, you know, dialogue with others, accountability becomes super easy. And then you end up having the life that you thought was impossible to live. I, I can't tell you when I really came to trust my own self, everything in my life changed and in a really positive way. So that's the promise. It's not like, oh my gosh, I have a trust deficit and I'm going to woe is me. Things will be horrible. Now that you're aware of it and you can address it, my goodness, what a great opportunity. That's the way I, I think about it. You know, you mentioned a minute ago uh, that your one of your words for 2017 is flow. Mm-hmm. Um, I only have one word for 2017. You want to hear it? Yes. It's really an interesting word, and it popped in my head. And it's a difficult word, I think, for a lot of women. But my word is power. Mm-hmm. And the reason I chose power is because I want to remind myself in 2017 that I have it. It's not um, something I want to, you know, like stand on top of a pyramid of other people, you know, and bang my chest and say I have power. I want to know every day that I have power and not forget that I I have power. Um, We don't really socialize women and girls to claim power. And it just seemed right and appropriate for me to say this year, 2017, it's all about power, baby. Not a, not a overweening, you know, clobber people kind of power, but that centered, authentic knowing. I have it. How am I going to use it? Thoughts. <laughs> what do you think of that? I, I love it. I mean, I think it's so appropriate for what we have going on right now in the country and around the world. Um, and I do think that uh, there is, um, you know, women in power, those two words make a lot of people shudder. Right. And it's so funny. Have you seen uh, these advertisements for these bracelets called My Intent? 
So you get a little bracelet with a word. You can have any yeah. word put on it. Yeah. I, I ordered one of those that says power. And I have it on my, my arm at this very minute. And I just got it on Monday of this week. And, you know, I look at that and I say to myself, oh, yeah, right. You know, so it's like a really tangible um, reminder of what I'm trying to to have in my life. Mm-hmm. And, um, and I do think it's a little bit radical. I, I absolutely do. I mean, I, if you had asked me 10 years ago, would I have thought that that would be a radical thing in 2017? I'd say absolutely not. But I do think it's very radical now. So. Yeah. You know me, radical. <laughs> oh. So I want to circle back to this hungry, um, hunger thing or hungry thing, because before we got on the air, you know, you were saying, well, because we were talking about what would the title be? You know, are you hungry enough? And, and you said, oh, you have weight loss clients. And one of the things that I had said was that often with my weight loss clients, the food is a way to distract because they don't know what they're hungry for in their lives. Yes. Right. And so the food is a distraction because again, anytime that's why reflection or asking questions and doing introspection can feel so vulnerable because we have this programming of what's the right answer. And I don't know. And so often I'm encouraging my clients, well, go out and experiments, test it out for a bit, you know, try it out for a few weeks, try it out for a month. You know, you, you, like I have a client that's, uh, has been wanting to write and, was, you know, but doesn't know what she wants to write about. And um, she was arguing in her head about how this fiction book ended. And she was like, I could write a better en- ending than that. And I said, well, why don't you write a better ending? Just start there. That's something that's short and concise. And so she's going to do that just to get her creativity going. And whether the writing becomes something that she does career wise or not, it's part of her flow for creativity. Mm. And so I think it's important to think about like when I'm hungry, what am I hungry for? Am I hungry enough? Like be comfortable with that space as if you're mm. letting the thoughts percolate. And and what am I hungry for? Right. I mean, that I think that's uh, also a critical thing. My, uh, one of my favorite writers is Diana Gabaldon, who wrote the Outlander series. And she's just brilliant. I think she has two PhDs and she's just smarticus. But she wrote the first book, Outlander, never intending to publish it. She wrote it to see if she could master the genre. And in other words, she sat there and she wrote this 600-page book or however it's, it's a thick book. But she wrote this book because she was hungry to see, could she, could she do this thing? Mm-hmm. And at the end, I think she let somebody read it. And they're like, holy cow, this is awesome. Got a publisher, and it's, you know, it's a worldwide bestseller, and now it's spawned this TV sh- series and, and nine other, you know, I think there are eight or nine other books in the series, all because she was hungry to see, can I, can I master this genre? And I think that's an important thing. It's not, can I write a bestseller? Mm-hmm. It's like, can I master this? Can I figure out this equation? You know, can I understand the, the um, you know, the, the change in the art world from classical painting to impressionism for yourself, you know, for your own edification. That to me is like a beautiful kind of hungry. Mm-hmm. I, I think it's rooted in curiosity. It's like, ooh, yeah, right. There's that learning and evolving. It's that little kid who's going, put me down, me do it, me do it, put me down. I walk. Right. And it's, it's that same thing. And I think that when you're not, and this is where we talk a lot about letting go of the attachment 
right? She was focusing on the process. Can I see if I can do this? Not what are the rave reviews going to be? How much money I can make, right? She was focused on the process. And one of the things that Elizabeth Gilbert wrote in Big Magic was do not burden your writing with having to make a living. And, and I just love that because I think sometimes we get, whether it's making a living or thinking that we have to do it the right way, instead of just letting ourselves explore. I mean, I think it's important to commit to it, but then allowing ourselves to explore the craft, the art, whatever it is that we're doing, instead of thinking that I'm going in here and I must get this transactional relationship back. I've developed this hypothesis, this theory, um, that that we, so many people fear being wrong. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it's it's like the next fear that because if I'm wrong, I'm going to die. I'm going to die a physical death, or I'm going to die a literal death. Um, so I need to do anything I can do to not be wrong. And so this is why I think people in our world, in the coaching world, like they're looking for the formula. What is the formula if I do X, Y, and Z? Uh, that's going to equal success mm-hmm. because they don't want to deviate for something from something and then possibly have a failure because that's like a death. And yet somebody at some point decided they were going to try peaches and salsa, right? Like <laughs> who came up with that? One day some guy decided to try a different combination of ingredients to find an adhesive, stuck it to paper. It didn't work as an adhesive, but it worked as a post-it note. Mm-hmm. Right. So part of me is like, if you can give up that worry, I'm going to fail. You know, I have to do this absolutely right or else I'm going to die. And really say, I'm just going to do this, do it the way I think it needs to be done. I'm going to see what happens. And if I need to revise and extend, I will. Bingo. I mean, that's the creative. I think the really the creative approach. Well, so this morning I have this, we have this, uh, our local governing bodies putting on this leadership camp for swimming. And so I've been working on who would I nominate, which kids would I nominate to go. And there's this one kid that I thought it'd be good for him to go. And he was all into going, he was applying and then last night he sent me an email and said he wasn't going to go. And then this morning, I'm, I'm very confused about it because his mom sent me an email and said he was going. And I just emailed back the family and I said, I believe that there will be good nuggets of information about leadership. It will also depend on how he chooses to show up and be in this two-day thing. Because, you know, it, it could just be standard. I don't know what it's going to be because I'm not putting together the curriculum. It could be your standard template stuff. But how is he going to show up? What nuggets? There's always something valuable if you commit to the experience. Yes. And you and I are often at the front of the room, mm-hmm. right? I mean, we're often leading. You know, you just said I didn't design the curriculum. A lot of times you and I do design the curriculum. Mm-hmm. And so what's really, I think what I've learned is that when I go into a situation where I'm not at the front of the room, mm-hmm. where I'm a student or I'm a participant, I have to say to myself, I'm sure there are going to be nuggets here for me mm-hmm. because I, I want to be able to be able to flex into being a student, mm-hmm. to being a learner. And I know there are a lot of people who have the devil of a time sitting in the back of the room when they're used to being in the front and, you know, they call out their own expertise. Mm-hmm. Well, I was leading a workshop on this same thing last week. 
And one thing that we did was blah, 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 blah. And that is all about, you know, ego and, and having your expertise noticed. The really the humble thing, back to Patrick's work, the humble thing is to allow yourself to be a learner. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And, and realizing that information, because I just got invited to be a part of this group. And this morning, um, I got a phone call and it was, well, you're probably, it's a business development group and you're probably more advanced than this. And, and, and I, and she said it a couple times to me and I thought later, I go, what does that mean? And why it doesn't matter if I have more business skill sets than somebody else. I still believe like, how do I show up and what can I learn from it? What can I give and what can I learn from it? And, and again, I think going back to your mindset of, what are you committing to? How are you, what are you going to be willing to learn from or be open to? Cause sometimes I have my own resistance. I'm like, Oh, I don't want to do something. And this just happened recently. I was like, I don't really want to go. I, and so, but then some of the people that I got to meet, it was like, isn't this interesting that these people showed up and I got to have these great conversations, right? My brain, but once I have to get past my own resistance and just be like, okay, this is what I'm going to do. And let's go and have a good time or let's go confirm a place of curiosity or what can I learn or how am I, can I connect with another human being without even thinking what's it going to get me further down the road, right? Which is, I think something you were kind of pertaining to when you can show up someplace and somebody's next to you know they're selling you something. Yeah. That drives me crazy. I'm just going to say that out loud. It drives me crazy. But you know, it's like you're this radio show of yours. I mean, you've been doing it for a long time now. And it, do you think now, do you have a different attitude around around being hungry about the show than you did when you were just getting it launched? Ooh, that's a really good question. Um, this is why I'm paid the big money. I'm just saying. So they're for def- asking these questions. There have definitely been different stages, right? Because I think when I first just got it launched, I, you know, it was how do I fill up 30 minutes of time? Because um, it was back then it was a 30 minute show live radio. Um, and then there was a hunger for like, who can I get on my show? And that I've evolved out of. Um, but I, the, the, the hunger has evolved as I have evolved. Mm. And it looks different. That's, that's, you know, like, I think at one point it was like, who could I get? What, who could I get on my show? And not in the sense of, was I, you know, like, I hate that term A-listers. I'm not, I don't like hierarchies, but it, if there was somebody that I was really interested in that I thought, wow, this would be a great person for my show, that that's what I'm talking about. Who could I get? Not right. like, oh my gosh, I got, you know, cause people say to me, oh my gosh, I can't believe you had that person. And I was, you know, and I did, I was really, really fortunate. Um, and then I haven't pursued that cause I'm just, you know, lots of people are doing that. So I'm interested in other things now. Yeah. But I think that's an interesting for people to hear, you know, the evolution of hunger and it's still, you're still hungry. It's just a different, it's different. Well, now I'm hungry for like these kind of conversations, which the listeners really love, right? They love having you on where we can go in and we can take a topic, like one thing out of this book and really kind of drill down to it. And then what nuggets does it start incorporating in their brains, whether they're commuting to work or they're cleaning their house or they're going for a walk or they're at the gym or wherever they are in their place, listening to these podcasts, right? And all over the world. I mean, it's crazy. When I think about, you know, my little show where it started over 10 years ago, and then the audience that we have all over the world, um, 
all because of this internet and, you know, podcasting and Apple and stuff. I mean, I'm so grateful. But what, that's what I love now. Like, that's what I'm, I'm hungry for conversations like this. This is what I'm hungry for. And that's what I do. You know, it's also, maybe this is another thing that's popping out um, about the book um, that we're talking about, the Ideal Team Player book by Patrick Lencioni is, is that I have hunger in a lot of different areas than just my work. <laughs> like, I actually have hobbies. You know, I have other interests that I I really am curious about and I want to learn about and I want to experience. And so maybe, and I, I realize this is because it's a business book and he's telling it like a fable and um, it's really about business, that that maybe the other thing is that I, I see too many of my clients who who have channeled every inch of their self-worth into their work and they're hungry about that, but then everything else is sort of withering and dying. So, you know, when you think about the other things that you're interested in, the other areas of your life, which you're, you're passionate, which you're curious, which you're engaged with, does that, does that change your thought about hunger or hungriness? I think it's really important to have other aspects. Again, when I was my younger self in my 20s, really, really hungry, had a lot to prove, you know, was rooted in scarcity, like huge tunnel vision. And one of the things that I've learned, um, some of it's from my husband, some of it's from, you know, the work that I do, lots of different aspects for making lots of mistakes, is that it's important to have other areas that light me up, right? And that I can be hungry for, or that I want to evolve in and creating space for that. And I mean, you know, like one of the things that my husband's a very successful swim coach, right? But, um, and he works, he works quite a bit, but then, you know, he has like our front yard is torn up and he has a garden that he grows and it's not perfect, but he spends a lot of time out there. He really likes to grow vegetables and fruit for our family. That's organic. That's something that he loves to do. And here's the thing is that when he's out there doing that, there's huge value because it gives him the space from the pool and he can think a lot and it's that white space that he needs. And sometimes it, it reminds him of what's important back at the pool. Right. And that goes back to what Elizabeth Gilbert was saying with magic, uh, with big magic of don't make writing your bird burden it with me, trying to make a money at it. Not everything has to be a money making endeavor. There can be things that you do that can ignite other areas. Like for a long time, Bikram yoga was a huge money maker for me. I go to Bikram yoga and all I'd come out of there and ideas were just whooshing through my head. And it was, it was a very, like, it was a great relationship. I didn't go in there thinking I'm going to do Bikram and I'm going to come out with all these ideas. I went to Bikram thinking, can I handle the heat? And I had so much learning that happened in that space. Yeah. It's, it's like, um, on Facebook, for instance, you know, I think if you go in thinking I'm going to make a post that's going to get 4,000 likes, it's a different post than if you say, I'm just going to say what needs to be said. And you've had stuff go viral. I have, I have. And it's just, so it's, you know, I think again, it's like, what's my intention? Mm -hmm. It's my intention to be curious and, and to figure this out and to be of service and to, um, realize this is one thing I'm doing in a whole lifetime of things. So 
this is the thing I try to do. And you can tell me if this is like weird. And I know you will tell me if it's weird. But <laughs> it's like I try to not put so much weight on any one thing mm-hmm. that it's like this is the make or break. Okay, Michelle, this is the make or break. There are 4,000 people that you're about to speak to. You've got to nail it because this is the make or break. Because that is not how I function best. I'm best saying, here's a nice group of people. You know, you have something to say. You've practiced. You know what you're going to say. Go out there and do your thing. That's the flow. That's a flow approach. Although I do think there are some people who really, who rise to the occasion when the thumb's on their back. You know what I mean? No, and, and I think that's important to know is who, how do you rise best? And I used to, again, but I think it's because I was so rooted in scarcity, but I used to be really, really good. But then the cost to, to, to put all that pressure was, you know, I would be exhausted for periods of time. So I just tried to be, I think about sustainability and steady. And then the other aspect is in, you know, we go back to my swimming world, right? But it's swimming has been such a teacher for me throughout my life is one of the things when, you know, Michael Phelps had just this amazing career and he's from your area. And one of the things that he said at the Olympics in 2016, it's a, just another swim meet. Right. And that sounds really arrogant. My husband would say that like in 2012, it's just another swim meet. And I would say, you have to be careful because people are thinking like, oh, you're Pete Motokaitis, you know. But really what happens is that when you go on that stage, on that platform, you have to think of it as another swim meet because if right. you get too hyped up, I mean, one of the things is as an athlete is an elite level athlete is learning how to manage your energy, especially with like an event schedule that Phelps had, right? Those the, like, that is a really tough event schedule. I mean, they're not going to bed till like two or three in the morning, you know, having to get back on the bus. I mean, there is a lot. People don't understand how much time and energy it takes to swim just, you know, two laps of butterfly. It's kind yeah. of ridiculous, right? But when you can realize, okay, this is just another swimmate or, you know, when we cannot go, oh my gosh, I'm speaking in front of 4,000 people and this is going to make or break my business, right? Noticing like how, where does that put you? Does that create more fear or shame or does that ignite you? You know, do you feel empowered or do you feel powerful? And that's a personal thing. It's like dating, right? I mean, if you went into every first date thinking this could possibly be the person I marry, mm-hmm. the energy is all wonky, mm-hmm. right? And the stakes are too high. Mm-hmm. Instead, if you went in saying, I wonder who this person is. I wonder what they're like. I wonder what's interesting to them. You know, I wonder if we'll be friends. It's a different, whole different mindset. So it's it's like... You can go to the Olympics and say, yeah, it's another swim meet. I think that's really smart mm-hmm. because it is like saying, oh, my God, I have to win the gold medal or I'm dead. And, and it's this is another swim meet. And obviously he had really big goals. Right. And, and right. so he also knows I mean, one of the things and I don't know him, but one of the things that, he, you know, he says in media is he doesn't share his goals publicly. I'm sure he shares them with Bowman, his coach and, you know, maybe his inner circle people. But he's very private about that. He does not share his goals because he doesn't need more media pressure. That's my assumption. Right. right? So it's not like he's like, Oh, this is just another soulmate and I'll just be laissez faire about it. It's like, okay, this is another soulmate and here's what I want to get done. Right. Right. And to not share your goals, not because you're afraid you're not going to hit them, but because they're actually nobody's business. Yeah. 
And if, it, and if it doesn't work for you, like some people like to go on Facebook and say, I want to lose X amount of weight. They, you know, that feels really good to them. I have some clients who are very, very private and that would feel horrible to them. So you have to go back to knowing who you are. Right. Right. Exactly. You. And trust yourself, man. And, and if you don't know what motivates you, I mean, just test it out. Right. Right. Like, I have learned over time that fear is not a good motivator for me. I can, it, I can get stuff done, but the cost afterwards is really, really high. And I found that the, I can do much better work when I'm in a place of curiosity or wholeheartedness or compassion. And the cost is much less to me. And that's a beautiful thing. And, you know, to not take it for granted that you're there and a lot of other people aren't there yet. You know, it's it's um, it's a wonderful awareness that you have. Um, so, you know, I'm your big fan, but I think that's great. Well, I'm your big fan, too. And I'm so glad that we get to have these conversations and you're sticking with me and doing these because these this is what I'm really hungry for. Having these real authentic conversations where we can, whether it's talk about something that's happening, that we see a theme in, with our clients you know, cause that happens. Or I love how we took this book and took one aspect of it, the hungry part, and we saw it differently. Right. And mm-hmm. how we can, I can, it was great to hear you talk about it because I hadn't seen it that way. Right. But I could see how it could go that way. And so I really appreciate that. So thank you so much, Michelle. Hey, thank you. I can't wait to come back. All right. Thank you. Well, what do you think? What does that word hungry mean to you? Is it a trigger for you? Does it mean overworking, not having boundaries, a drive at all cost? Or is it this inner desire to evolve, to grow, to flourish? Which one is it for you? I really, really want to hear about that. So shoot me an email and let me know. What does hunger mean to you? I'd love to hear your response on that. Seriously, send me an email. You can go to my website at www.howshereallydoesit.com and there's a contact page and go ahead and send it. Or if you're a newsletter subscriber, just hit reply back after I send out the Friday newsletter and let me know what you're hungry for. Love to hear that. And then my next question is, are you hungry enough? And before you even go there, think about where are you rooted when you think about being hungry, right? And we're not talking about my hungry for lunch or dinner or steak or a salad or dessert. We're talking about what are you hungry for? What inside, what's that desire inside? And where are you rooted when you have that desire, when you have that hunger? Is it because you're trying to prove something? Is it trying because you're trying to Use it as evidence that you're worthy instead of believing that you're worthy right here, right now. Something that I talk about quite frequently on the show and in mini-sodes. Go through the archives, you guys. There's a ton of stuff about that. It's an area that we can all struggle with not being enough. And so sometimes we will use our hunger, our desire, our overachieverness to prove to us that we're worthy. But you're worthy right now. You're worthy right here. And if you can get to that place and be rooted in love, in self-love for yourself, then what can that hunger look like in your life? What can you go and create and cultivate and accomplish from that place, that desire of hunger, of wanting to evolve? 
of wanting to flourish and be in that, like I said earlier, that flow state. It's not about not having hunger and being compassionate and sitting on the couch and eating bonbons and having a Netflix binge. That's not, that's not compassion, right? That's about disconnecting. That may be about, you know, letting entertainment feed you, food feed you. It could be about numbing as well, depending where it's rooted, right? Depending on how many bonbons you eat. If you remember what bonbons are, those are from when I think I was a teenager. So what are you hungry for and where are you rooted? Notice that. And if you feel that you're rooted in shame, that voice of you're not enough or in scarcity or that you have to prove, first, that's your work to do. That right there is your work to do. You want to be rooted where you are worthy, where you love yourself. Maybe you don't like yourself every day and it doesn't mean when you love yourself that there aren't flaws because trust me, we all have them. We all have flaws. But it's about loving yourself. And then from there, going and pursuing what you're hungry for. And I want to reiterate something that I said when Michelle was here and, and we, we actually talked about before we hit record is a lot of times with my weight loss clients, they, their hunger for food and the emotional eating is a distraction so they don't have to answer this question, what am I hungry for? That's a really scary question. And why is it scary? Because it's vulnerable, right? What's the right answer? What if I put in all this time and nothing comes about it? What if I do it, but I'm not good enough? I mean, those are all crappy questions to begin with. The quality of your questions create the quality of your life. Remember that, people. So it's about tuning in, being willing to make mistakes, and experimenting, testing things out. I feel like a broken record sometimes. I'm saying this over and over and over again. And I have to remind myself of that because there's some of that defaulted programming that was put into my head at some point of no, do it perfectly. Don't waste time. Be efficient. And I don't want to. And I remind myself, Corinne, this is an experiment. Corinne, you do better with more time. You need that space, test it out, and then you can circle back and make a decision. Test it out and commit to it and then circle back. Maybe it's a tweak. Maybe it's a hell no. I don't know but you have to commit to it and really allow yourself to experiment and figure out, okay, what do I like? Oh, I thought I would like X, but I realize that idea does not work for me. That drive, that desire that I thought was so important isn't what works for me. And it's okay that you're not going to know the answer. You're going to have to experiment. Give yourself the grace of time know where you're rooted, and then pay attention to the weird things that you're hungry for. It's like, really? Who would have thought? I can remember when I first went to Bikram. This is many, many years ago, and I haven't done Bikram in a couple of years, but well, I actually went to Bikram back in 2003 for the first time. Didn't know what I was saying yes to, went on an anniversary. That's a whole nother story. And I thought, this is crazy. I was in Alaska. I'm like, I've never sweated so much in my life. I'm never doing this again. So I had this disastrous experience. <laughs> and then several years later, my husband asked me to go to Bikram with him. There was a studio in town. And so we went. And I thought, oh, well, this will be fun. It'll be a date at six in the morning. And I go in. Don't even know what I'm geared up for. I'm in like yoga pants and a shirt. 
And the teacher I knew, she's looked at me and she's like, it's going to be really hot in there, but I didn't have anything else and have shorts. And I kept going back and it was ridiculous. Every time I come out of there, I was like, I've never sweated so much. I remember being in class, standing there, watching sweat fall off of my arms going, what is happening? Why am I here? And it was a weird thing for me to be hungry for, but internally, intrinsically in my gut, I kept wanting to go. I kept wanting to go. And instead of using the logical side of my brain of, I don't like to be told what to do. I don't like smelly environments. I don't like to sweat. And I don't like to be locked in a room for 90 minutes. And I don't like, I think it's 107 degrees of temperature. Why am I paying for this? Like, instead of like, I just sat there and I was fascinated. I'm like, none of this makes sense. But something inside of me is desiring to go. And I loved it. I mean, and I was hardcore committed to doing it. I would go to like the the San Francisco for the day on a Sunday and I would come home for that Sunday night class. Usually Sunday night, I like to come home and be at home. It didn't make sense what I was hungry for. And it took me time. I don't think I understood for about a year why I liked it so much. And then one day it hit me. It was like swimming because I was with a bunch of people, but I was by myself. And I had that space to be with me. And I also was able to overcome the, the mental challenges of the heat of the stories in my head. And I loved getting better at something. And honestly, after many years of swimming, and I haven't swam in many years on top of that, but the idea of jumping into a pool for you former swimmers can understand this, not ideal, especially at six in the morning. I remember going in with during the winter going, oh, I'm so glad I'm walking to a Bikram versus a swimming pool. And it was also, I there was a community there. So there were many things that I really, really liked and it made my brain work better. I used to say that all the time. I didn't understand it. And if I just looked at it logically, I would have quit right in the beginning, but I kept going. So pay attention to even the weird things you're hungry for. And it may take time, it may take hindsight to look back. And I really hope that this conversation has helped, you know, maybe take a stigma off of the word hungry or that you shouldn't have desires or that the only way to be hungry is without boundaries because that's not true. I mean, you've heard me talk about this with Michelle today. I really believe you can be hungry, you can evolve and you can do great work, live great lives with boundaries, with appropriate support. It's not about, I used to think I just have to work really hard and grind it out 24 seven or really 20 hours out of the day. But the quality of the stuff I was doing, the quality of my relationships, they were all really crap. But I was like, see, I only sleep four hours a day. Like, look at me. I work so hard. I'm sending emails at midnight. Again, it was all crap. There wasn't good quality. I was just being busy. And that was just as much of a distraction as emotional eating can be. And I really, really think about what am I hungry for? Giving myself that space, you know, and allowing myself to evolve. I want to evolve. And then there's times that I don't. There's times that I just want to be a sloth. And that's okay. And I give myself that permission too. Now it's not, and I want to clarify that doesn't mean I like cancel my day of clients or, you know, even sometimes when I get really nervous about an interview, I have this thought of, oh, I can just cancel on them. I don't do that. I take my commitment seriously. I would never cancel on a client, nor would I cancel on a guest. Even though sometimes I may daydream that because I'm so afraid. I don't want to be vulnerable. And I'm like, oh my gosh, how is this going to be any good? You know, how can I show up? And it's, it's scary right? 
even to this day, I can have those moments, but I still keep those commitments. But maybe on a day when my schedule's light or maybe on a day like on the weekends or in the evening, I'm done and that's okay. I don't have to be hungry 20 hours a day. Think about that when you think about what are you hungry for? You know, and are you hungry enough? What is enough? You get to determine that. I mean, that's the whole point of the show is about you being the leader of your life, you determining what success is for you, you determining, you know, if you want to, you know, I've had uh, people talk on the show about, you know, dream big, be, play a bigger game. But what does that mean for you? What are your values? What is it that means for you? And, and then also meeting yourself where you are right now. You know, if you have young kids, take that into account because they will grow. I mean, it's amazing. My youngest two are now 15 and 16. And it's amazing how life-changing it is, especially with a driver of even how much more time I have free than I used to have. So you're going to be evolving and things will be changing. And where I was 10 years ago is very different than where I am now because life has changed. The responsibilities that that were upon me or that I took upon me, myself have, have shifted a bit, right? I'm not having to necessarily drive around all the time. I have a daughter that can drive herself to places. It's freed me up. So I give you that to think about, are you hungry enough? And pay attention to where you're rooted when you answer that question. All right, I want to do a big shout out. I love, love, love the iTunes reviews. Thank you so much for going through that extra effort to put them in there and give your feedback. I love hearing a little bit about your stories, about maybe the length of listening, what you like about the show, where you listen to the show. So thank you, thank you, thank you for leaving a review for yourself and then for others because there's a lot of podcasts out there, right? And people look at the reviews to say, is this worth my time? I mean, how many of you, whether you go to Amazon or someplace, and we are now trained to look at reviews. So thank you, thank you, thank you. I want to do a big shout out to Roshan8485. I'm so glad that you love the conversational format. And yes, I love to talk about money, shame, vulnerability, all those things. And uh, it for me, it's one of those things that uh, if we don't talk about it, it owns us. So I love to talk about it because it really reduces the shame, right? When you can own it. So thank you. Thank you. Thank you. And thanks for living an iTunes review until next time. I'm smiling big for you. On a lake. She is dreaming. She is drifting. Never been so wide awake.